Young Alex was sitting in church one Sunday with his parents, but he didn't want to put his money in the offering bag as it went by. So his mom decided to use some hurried, creative reasoning with him. Son, you don't want that money, she whispered to his ear. Quick, drop it in the plate. It's tainted. Horrified, the young boy obeyed. After a few seconds, though, he whispered, But mom, why was the money tainted? Was it dirty? Oh, no, dear, she replied. It's not really dirty. It just taint yours and it taint mine, she replied. It's God's. Well, there's an element of truth to that. Not maybe how I would recommend uh, you teach your kids about giving, but yeah, God does remind us that it taint ours like none of it. And with that really bad groaner, let me open up this third message in our Thrive series with these words from Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. A lesson that Alex was struggling to learn. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And I can hear some of you saying about that verse, well, yeah, that's a no-brainer. And you might tell me maybe a, a story of one time when you gave something away and how good it made you feel that you gave from the heart and it felt so wonderful. It's like when someone says to you, hey, thanks for giving that. And you're like, no problem. I really like giving. I enjoyed helping like that. It really is more blessed to give, right? And this giving from the heart does sound so good, right? Our culture calls us to give from the heart. But as good as giving from the heart is, this is a very limited way to give. Here's the problem. When you only give from the heart, what that means is that you only give when you feel like it. And it makes it very easy for you and me and everyone else in Canada to say, hey, am I ever generous? And I feel blessed when I give. I, I, I feel so good when I give. Yeah, I'm a good person. Yeah. Most Canadians describe themselves as generous. Even when the stats say that we're giving less and less every year, we think we're generous. We do, right? The truth is this phrase, it's more blessed to give than to receive, is not saying what you think it is saying. Because it's not referring to a moment in time when you gave randomly from the heart to some cause. Rather, it's a call by Jesus to a way of living. I felt so good about giving is not exactly what Jesus is talking about. I don't know uh, about you, but me, when I was growing up as a kid, when, when I heard the phrase, it's more blessed to give than to receive, I went, yeah, okay, but you know what I think? It's actually more blessed to receive. I'm sure none of you thought that, but yeah, it was part of my struggle to learn to give, and that's why I think we uh, latch on strongly to those occasional times when we do give, and we feel so good about it, and we kind of float on that good feeling for a long time, and uh, what you and I are thinking about is a moment in time, a, a transaction, when we gave from the heart and we felt good about it. But that's not what Jesus has in mind. Jesus is talking about a lifestyle of generosity, and, and that it is a lifestyle of generosity that leads to what Jesus calls the blessed life that a lifestyle of generosity leads to a deep experience of personal happiness. We feel generous because of those and, um, random acts of giving we do, but that's not what Jesus means by generosity. We think we're generous when really we're not. And there's another huge problem that many of us have. Most of us think we're poor when we're not. Friends, come on. We are all truly rich. We are among the richest people in the world. Living in Fort McMurray means many of us are among the richest in Canada, but we, we don't believe it. 
but it's true. Can I be a little daring and throw this statement out there? Most of us, if we're really honest with ourselves, myself included, most of us are rich and greedy. Ouch, did that really say that? Most of us are rich and greedy? I think, I think it just might be better that I offend you rather than bore you, okay? Is that okay? I think every now and then it's just good to grab your attention with a little bit of truth that is offensive. Just now and then, I don't do it often, not as often as Jesus does it, that's for sure. And yes, I know you. I know you don't want to be rich and greedy. None of us do. I don't. But there's something in you and me both that is driving us, right? Driving us to want just a little bit more. And that drive for just a little bit more is interfering with you and me becoming people who are truly generous, at least in the way that Jesus would see generosity, where we are just generous all the time. And the best way I can describe this drive we have for just a little bit more has to do with something called bracket creep. And bracket creep is all about wanting just a little bit more. And it's a huge deal here in Fort McMurray. So many of you came to Fort McMurray from somewhere else. You were living from paycheck to paycheck. You came to Fort McMurray because of the promise of good money. And most of you saw a jump in your income when you moved to Fort McMurray. By the way, statistically, of cities over 50,000 in Canada, Fort McMurray is the city in Canada where you have the most financial margin for extra stuff over and above what you need to live comfortably. What this means is that there is this significant difference between what you make and what is needed for basic, comfortable living, you know, for housing, food, transportation. For the average person in Fort McMurray, the gap is like $20,000 or more compared to the rest of the country. You didn't know you had that kind of margin, did you? So why didn't you know? Because what happens to most people in Fort McMurray is we are so used to living from paycheck to paycheck like we used to live back home that we just fill up that margin from our higher incomes with stuff so that we're still living from paycheck to paycheck. That's bracket creep. When I got married, I was living in a 600-square-foot apartment in the least expensive building in Markham, just north of Toronto. Yeah, in that apartment, I had no ability to control the heat other than open the windows, and that didn't help much. I had stuff in the closet that literally melted. I was also in the most violent building in Markham. There were at least two shootings in our building while I was there. I was the youth pastor at Unionville Alliance Church, just north of Toronto at the time, and that's all I could afford. It worked. I wasn't in the drug trade, so I wasn't too worried about getting shot, and just some plastic stuff, including some cross-country ski boots, melted a bit. I was single. It was fine. My first car was a very well-used 1969 Volkswagen Beetle. It had an interior gas heater that didn't work. So my girlfriend at the time, not Jane, had to scrape the inside of the window while we were driving when it was winter. I really envied people who had a real car, like the American Motors Gremlin, and so I got a 1974 AMC Gremlin, blue with a white stripe, just like you see in that picture. Although Time Magazine lists it as among the 20 worst cars of all time. But when I got it, it was so awesome. And then I got married, and I envied those with minivans, and I became a minivan owner, and I had the kids to, to fill it. My salary as a youth pastor at Unionville Alliance was 17000 but I always felt, yeah, I need a little more. 
And the church was generous every year. And after six years, it was like 25000 And then I became the director of a kids' camp, Camp Minioi, North of Toronto, and my salary was 20000 That was incredible. You get the picture. Because the problem is, nobody ever feels like they've made it. Yeah, where you used to live, you know, you had a starter home, but then your best friend bought a new home, and suddenly yours didn't look so good anymore. You, you got a raise, and you didn't know what to do with it, so you just upgraded. A few more meals out, a, a new living room sofa, a, a new truck, and, oh yeah, a new machine, snow machine to put on the back of that truck, you know, yada, yada, yada. Here's the principle. Your desire always exceeds your income. Always. So if you're waiting to give from the heart or to give to something like Thrive, it doesn't happen at a level uh, it, it could. It doesn't happen at a level that you want to give. It doesn't happen at a level that you should give it. Often it just doesn't happen. And if you're counting on your heart feelings to fuel consistent, generous giving, you'll be waiting a long time. In fact, here's the truth. The richer you get, the less most people give. But enter Jesus who says it's more blessed to give than to receive. Let, you, let me give you some context for this verse. It's in the book of Acts, and at this point, this is the story of the Apostle Paul. He's going to cities, villages, and towns all around the Mediterranean, telling people about the risen Jesus while he's planting all of these churches. Paul is leaving the city of Ephesus, heading to Jerusalem, and he knows he's going to be arrested and that the people of Ephesus will never see him again. He knows that this journey will ultimately lead to his death. This is one of the most emotional sections of the New Testament. Paul is saying goodbye to his friends. He's saying goodbye to his supporters. He's saying goodbye to all of these church leaders. He's saying, I'm leaving you. You'll never see me again. They're begging him not to go. And Paul begins to talk to them about how generous he's been with them. He's not bragging. He's just saying, I've lived a generous life in front of you. Now as I go, I'm calling you to live as a generous people. And he throws out this little statement that they all knew. He said, you'll remember Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than to receive him. Yeah, they remember. And these are Paul's final words to the people in Ephesus. Live generously for the sake of others. And as you will see from this verse, when, when Jesus talked about the generous life, he called it the blessed life. Friends, all through the Bible, you will see a direct connection between giving and being blessed, between living generously and experiencing blessing. You can't miss it. It's all through the Bible. And, and what Paul is saying in his final words to the Ephesians is that if you live a generous life, not if you have moments of random generous giving. No, no. If you live a generous life, if you order your life around generosity, you will be happy. You will be blessed. Happiness is an outcome of a lifestyle of generosity. This is the idea behind Paul's teaching to the Corinthians when he writes, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. There is a connection between generosity and blessing, 
between generosity and cheerfulness, and there is a connection between the measure you use and the measure with which it will be, you will be blessed or experience happiness. I know, at some point, some of you are saying, Doug, I've heard this all before. I grew up in church. How many more weeks do we have of this? I think I have something to do for the next week or so uh, uh, until something a little more practical you, you speak that maybe will help me, my wife, or my girlfriend. Hey, I understand. And there's something else I also understand so that you can relax. I truly understand that I personally cannot make you do anything. Let's be honest. You don't do half the stuff anyways that I ask you to do. So are we good with that, right? But still, now that we have that settled, this is God's truth in an area we really struggle if we could truly embrace what it means to be a generous people, we would experience blessing that comes no other way. I can't explain it all. I just know that it's true. As I told you last week, it's been true in my own life. For me, for, for decades of giving a percentage of my income back to God, there's not a dollar I regret giving. There are decades just of experiencing God's blessing as I've done that. Now, I've been listening to a bit of Andy Stanley as I put this message together, and there are some of his thoughts here, and I'd like to grab from him a biblically rooted, like in the teachings of Jesus and Paul, definition of what it means to be generous or financially generous. It's a clunky, wordy, maybe even awkward definition, but it'll help us get to the core of what uh, Jesus and Paul are teaching. Financial generosity is the premeditated, calculated, designated emancipation of personal financial assets. So how do you like that for a definition, eh? Financial generosity, there are other types of generosity. Financial generosity is the premeditated, calculated, designated emancipation of personal financial assets. If you read Jesus and Paul, that's essentially what they're teaching. Let's unpack that. To order your life around generosity is to be premeditated. That means you've got to have a plan. Generous people have a plan of some sort, maybe a budget even. On April 29th, you will want to sign up for the Joe Sangal Financial Freedom Experience. He will help you come up with a plan. He will give you things that will actually work if you try them. Block April 29th in your calendar right now. It is an immensely helpful, practical seminar. Next. Generous people have calculated what they will give. They know the amount, and it comes off the top of their income. It's the first thing they do with what they earn. They, they give a calculated percentage of their income as a part of their worship of God. Designated means generous people know where they're going to give. They have pre-decided where their giving goes, to their local church and to causes that are close to the heart of God. And then there's this great word, emancipation. Friends, you got to set your money free. Generous people understand that they will need to be generous uh, in their giving of their finances in order to not be possessed by their possessions. Truth be told, most of us are possessed by our possessions. The spirit of mammon works hard to keep it that way. We let money become our God. We talked a, bit, a little bit last week about the spiritual warfare that surrounds money. It's one of our biggest spiritual battlegrounds. And, and so you free your money, emancipation. You free yourself from money. And when you free your money, you begin to view your life through the lens of generosity. And you will indeed experience freedom. And that, in turn, becomes a source of blessing or happiness. So that definition, let me say it again. Financial generosity is the premeditated, 
calculated, designated emancipation of personal financial assets. Thank you, Andy Stanley. Friends, this is just simple gospel truth. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And when you learn to order your life around generosity, when, when you become a genuinely generous person, not someone who just gives randomly to things that stir your heart, when you live with generosity, this is the first step to producing margin in your life. I, I know, it sounds so strange, so counterintuitive. Give money away and you'll begin to get margin. But here's what happens. When you become generous, you will give more. Okay, that makes sense. That's a no-brainer. But here's where the surprise part comes in. Generous people not only give more, but they also save more. Generous people, by giving, build margin into their lives. As you become a generous person, you will save more money and you will consume less. When they study generous people, this just proves to be absolutely true. And, and it doesn't matter what level your income is at. When you set your money free, emancipation, you are free to order your finances around God's priorities rather than yours. And what really happens is your priorities are God's priorities, and you find yourself living on, on mission, living on mission for God, and your life takes on meaning and purpose, and, and you're experiencing the blessing that comes from giving. Okay, let me close with this story. I've grabbed this from a guy named Mark Batterson. In, uh, in Westminster Abbey in London, England, there is a memorial to a man named Jonas Hanway. This uh, is a famous British church. It's the final resting place for some of history's uh, most famous poets and politicians and scientists. You have people like uh, Queen Elizabeth I, uh, uh, Sir Isaac Newton, Charles Dickens, and Charles Darwin there. The memorial to Jonas Hanway pictures a man giving clothing to children with an inscription that reads, The helpless infant nurtured through his care. The friendless prostitute sheltered and reformed. The hopeless youth rescued from misery and ruin and trained to serve and defend his country. And it goes on and then concludes, This was the friend and father of the poor. Jonas was one impressive human being, someone who lived a generous life, a friend and father of the poor. Now, Jonas Hanaway made his fortune as a sea captain and merchant. Later in life, he uh, took his fortune and used much of it to help those who couldn't help themselves. But there's something else that Jonas Hanaway is famous for. He did what no Englishman had done before. You can look this up. Jonas Hanaway was the first male Londoner to carry an umbrella. At the time, the portable roof, as it was called, was considered an accessory suitable only for women. 250 years ago, real men got wet, okay? So picture Jonas Hanaway walking the streets of London, singing in the rain under his umbrella, and imagine the coach drivers and the chimney sweeps hooting and hollering, just giving him one hard time. Jonas Hanaway just might have been the most mocked man in his generation, but he was also the driest. Let me use the umbrella of this generous man as a picture of the blessing of God, where it is more blessed to give than to receive. This is just a picture or an illustration, so a way of picturing God's blessing in our lives is to see it like an umbrella. An umbrella doesn't change the forecast, does it? Life will rain pain, that's for sure. But the blessing of God does provide a covering of sorts, an extra layer of protection against the elements.
Does that umbrella of blessing mean we get to sidestep sickness? No, not at all. How about suffering? Not a chance. Failure? I'm afraid not. Why? Because our God loves us too much to rob us of the very things that will cause our characters to grow. Besides, what makes us think that we can become more and more like Jesus without being betrayed by a Judas or criticized by Pharisees or tempted by the evil one? The blessing of God doesn't mean you won't get wet, but it can keep you singing in the rain like Jonas Hanaway as he gave away his life for others. Now, what is this umbrella of blessing? It's an extra measure of grace during tough times. It's a song in the night during seasons of sadness. It's the peace that passes all understanding when life just doesn't make sense. It's joy unspeakable when you reach the end of your rope. Are you hearing me? More importantly, are you hearing God's word? Friends, it is truly more blessed to give than to receive. When you order your life around generosity, when you submit your finances to the Lordship of Jesus, you delight the heart of our God as you worship him in this way, and he is delighted to bless in return. It's just a simple truth that when we give our lives fully to Jesus, when we submit to his ways, we come under the umbrella of God's blessing. So today, Jesus would just remind all of us that it is more blessed to give than to receive. And thrive is only one small part of this. Jesus is calling us to order our lives around generosity in every way, including our time, our abilities, how we respond to our neighbor on our street or the person we work with, and yes, as well, our finances. So with that, let's pray. And would you pray with me? Just take what I'm praying and pray it in your own words in a way that makes sense to you. Father God, I confess that I do hold tightly onto my stuff, my money. I've worked so hard to get to where I am. And now inflation is eating away at whatever little margin I think I have. I want to be truly generous. God, would you help me to trust you so that I can become generous? And not just generous with my finances, but generous with my time, with my abilities, generous with the people that I live with, the people on my street, generous with the people that I work with. I do yearn for that sense of blessing, that sense of fulfillment, for the joy that comes from living my life with and for you. Lord, I believe. Help me in my unbelief. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.